bless you. We're so glad you could join us for worship this morning. Would you all stand and sing with us as we declare who our Savior is, Jesus, our risen King. He is here with us, and He wants to encounter us today in worship. King, there is a power beyond defeat. This is the good news. His name is Jesus. There is a healer. There is a friend. There is a mercy. That never ends. There is the good news. His name is Jesus. He saves, he saves, rejoice all you people. He reigns, he reigns, he conquered the grave. forgiven we are redeemed this is the good news his name is Jesus he saves he saves rejoice all you people he reigns he reigns he conquered the grave Yeah. 
to do a songwriting conference at an orphanage and when you hear the words of this song if you're like me you might tear up thinking about orphans singing these lyrics but I got to thinking that is the story of all of us we were once orphaned and now we're a part of a family the family of God um, so this is just a thank you and glorifying the Lord who has saved us. So they wrote this together. There's just going to be a couple people, maybe three, four kids in this room writing this song together. And then they just kept piling in. And it's like, how do you co-write a song with a, a room full of kids? And my friend Lauren heard the Lord say, just worship me, just worship me. So this song just came out of that worship moment of all these orphans singing together, being found in the family of God. So let's sing this together. This is gonna be on the new worship album um, for New Life Worship recording at our next first Wednesday service with all our congregations under one roof. Um, so you'll definitely want to be there, but we want to make sure that you know some of the songs before we get there so that we can sing loud together, all right? All right, let's sing this together.
want to worship at his feet this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We want to give you pure exaltation. yours Jesus receive what is yours
when there's praise and worship like this and when all of his people are coming together. And what I love about this community in particular is that there is always such a sweet aroma of worship to the Lord, but that extends to how much you love and care for each other. There's a verse in Acts chapter four, verse 32 and 34, and it says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And verse 34 says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. What I honor about Manitou is that y'all always take care of each other. If anyone is isolated, there's community for them. If anyone has need of resources, there's resources for them. If anyone has need of a family or a place to serve or somewhere to go on a Sunday morning, you all are always here for each other. And even today, y'all are gonna do a packing party after this for Samaritan's Purse. And I just wanted to take a moment to encourage y'all just to say I honor the way you do community and it is very much how Christ does community where there's everyone has everything in common. Everyone takes care of each other as they have need and that is so special. So as we give, there are four ways to give on your phone, online, snail mail, boxes or somewhere around here. But as I pray, I just want to pray a blessing over you all that the Lord will continue to bring you together and help you all take care of each other. So God, thank you so much for my friends here at Manitou. God, I am so grateful that they are doing church the way you have intended, that there is worship here, there is praise here as we glorify you and magnify you with our praises. God, as your praises are lifted up, your presence is here. And as your presence is here, people are drawn to each other to be in community, to gather together, to take care of each other. So God, I bless my friends here at Manitou. God, I pray you will continue to knit them together in one heart and one soul by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, friends. Let's continue to worship as we give. Worthy are you, God. Worthy is your name. Worthy of our praise. We worship you. Here we stand in awe. You deserve it all. Jesus evermore, we worship you. Worthy are you, God. Worthy is your name. Worthy of our praise, we worship you. Here we stand in awe. You deserve it all. Jesus evermore. 
we thank you for this body of believers that you have drawn together, that you are building together. Thank you for the thread you are weaving of unity in all of us and commanding your blessing here. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be open and ready to receive whatever you have for us this morning. Lord, our ears are attentive. We say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. If you're new here, a special welcome to you. We do have a gift for you, so make sure that you get that from us at our welcome table on your way out this morning. Um, At this time, the kids can be dismissed to go to their classes. The rest of you turn, greet one another in the name of the Lord. We'll be right back up here with the word in just a moment. Good morning, New Life Church, Man or Two Springs. Oh my goodness, you're just chit-chatting. That's okay. This is a good place. This is healthy chit-chat, but good morning. I'll try again. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Shout out to my dad watching online. He had a birthday this week, so that's pretty cool. Uh, what else? It's homecoming. Go Mustangs for a man or two springs. Went to the football game. It was awesome. A huge shout out to Allie and Taylor. Allie, uh, Taylor was just in the drums. Uh, Allie's downstairs. They lead our Wednesday night youth group right here at 6.33 p.m. So a shout out to that ministry that is, uh, yeah, shout out to them. They, they, I mean, last year we didn't have it. So we started it this year and it's launched and it's going well. And so praise the Lord for that. 
yeah, let's jump into the text of Scripture. We are in the book of 1 Kings. You know where that's at in the Bible. You can turn to 1 Kings chapter 9. And today I'm going to talk about like this big like structure of the Bible that will hopefully make a lot of sense to you as you read Scripture. Let me share with you a story. So uh, my wife and I have four boys. Our conversations on car rides are usually about like little boy stuff. Rowan, who's kind of our science guy, said, Dad, do you know what your body would look like if you didn't have any bones. He said, you would just be a pile of muscle and skin. You wouldn't be able to sit. You wouldn't be able to stand. You wouldn't even be able to breathe or do nothing. You would just be a blob. And I was like, ew, that's that's weird. That's gross. And he went on to describe more about that. And I just thought about, well, hey, Bones are important, right? Amen for bones. Like, thank God we have bones and and a structure, a backbone, a spine. The bones kind of hold things together. What I want to do with today's message is talk about some of the like the the structure of the Bible to to help make the Bible make sense out of like this really big theme. It could be I'm comparing it to like a backbone of the human body. This theme that is all throughout. The Bible, because without these themes, I think the Bible doesn't really make sense to us. You know, we live in a country where, praise God, the majority of Americans would say they're a fan of the Bible. The majority of Americans say they believe in the Bible. Now, in that same poll, if you ask Americans, do you actually read it? Uh, that's, that's, That's not as high on the priority. But most Americans just in general say, oh yeah, we believe in the Bible. When it comes to reading it and, and really knowing it, I think the, the, the America we live in now is pretty biblically illiterate. And what I want to do today with this sermon is give you a big picture, a backbone structure of the Word of God as it applies to the kingdom of God. The title of this sermon <clears throat> is this, the true king is coming again. The true king is coming Again, and we're speaking about Jesus. Did you know that this sermon series on First Kings, all about these different kings, is going to lead us up to Advent, the coming of the true king, Jesus Christ? And we believe, as Christians, he's coming again. That's the title of this sermon. So would you turn to First Kings chapter 9? We're going to put it here as well on the screens. And would you stand with me if you are able? This is the highlight of of the whole book of Kings. In some ways, this is like, if you're reading along in the New Testament, there's this promise that, that there will be a great nation. You're reading all along, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua. You get finally to this moment in the history of the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 9, where the temple has been built, where a palace has been built. That's not just Solomon's home, but it's like the, the, the White House, the political power of the whole nation of Israel. Here we are, this climax of First Kings, and here it is, chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and had achieved all that he desired to do. Pretty awesome, right? The, the temple is there. The palace, the kingdom, prosperity, everything is wonderful. The Lord appeared to him a second time 
as he appeared to him at Gibeon. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about that first appearance. Uh, God said, what do you want? He says, I, I would like wisdom. And he gives him wisdom and prosperity. And this kingdom falls under Solomon's leadership and it's wonderful. Verse three, we're continuing. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you made before me, which was to consecrate the temple. I have consecrated this temple, which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if, there's gonna be an if-then kind of statement. If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprighteousness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray to you now. We, we say, Christ, you are in our midst. And Lord, we, we pray, would you give us understanding for our own lives, for our own walks with you, that we might see this passage of scripture, Lord, that you might speak to us through your Holy Spirit, directly to our hearts this morning. As we're reading an ancient story about a kingdom and a king, and, and it's gonna fall apart. Lord, as we read this story, as we look at it and study your word, Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. That's what we say to you, Lord. So we thank you. We praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people. Shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have a three-point sermon for you, uh, as usual, as you would expect from this pulpit. Uh, first point is this. The promised kingdom is fulfilled in Solomon. The promised kingdom. Did you know that like way back in your Bible, so if you have a Bible, you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. What's the first book of the Bible? Genesis, good job, class. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, there's this character named Abraham. Before his name was Abraham, it was Abram. Good job. Once again, class. Oh, you're not a class, you're a congregation. Good job, good job congregation. So there's a guy named Abraham, uh, Abram, and God chooses him. I'll read the passage for you. It's in Genesis all the way. This is like first couple pages of the book of Genesis, Genesis 12, one through three. So, so here we are. I mean, we're in Solomon right now. We're talking about the temple. This is a thousand years before the temple, thousand years before Solomon and his palace. This is like first couple pages, just chapter 12 of the whole Bible. There's a promise from God to this man named Abram. And it says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you, I will make you a great nation, is what it says. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. The promise here is that Abram will become a great nation. Now, Abraham has a son named Lots of quizzes today. Good job. Good job, congregation. Isaac has a son named. Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. And, oh, somebody said Israel. That's also correct. So Jacob, his name gets changed to 
Israel, and Israel has 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes get into trouble. There's, there's warring tribes. That, that no one would say they're a great nation at this point. In fact, there's a salmon. There's a famine. Sorry. There's a <laughs> There's a famine, and they are brought to Egypt. They have to go to Egypt because they don't have enough food. They go to Egypt. Once they're in Egypt, uh, it goes well for a little while, and then they're made slaves in Egypt. A leader comes up out of these slaves. His name is Moses. Moses leads them out of slavery. Are they a great nation? Like, no, they're slaves. No one would say, oh, there's a great nation. So, in, I mean, we're, we're looking at like big picture here. We're looking at the beginning of the text of scripture. There's this promise. Abraham's going to be made a great nation. And here they are in Egypt, slaves. Moses leads them out of slavery into the desert. What do they do for 40 years? They're wandering around in the desert. Are they a great nation? Well, not, I mean, I think everyone would say, well, eh, it could be better. I mean, they're wandering around. They're, they're being fed by the Lord himself with manna, fire by day, uh, smoke by day, fire at night. They're being led through the wilderness. They're wandering around. They finally, through with Joshua and the beginning of the book of Joshua, get into the land. But then they're just whooped up by all the other neighboring tribes. No one would say, oh, this is a great nation. They're like the little brother, right? And everyone's just beating them up. And and still, they're not a great nation. There's political turmoil. There's different judges who become leaders. I think everyone would say, well, they're a nation maybe now, but they're not great. And then along comes David, this king that unites the tribes. And people are like, well, maybe this is it. I mean, a thousand years has passed. And here, this, the, the kingdom finally gets handed over to Solomon. A temple is built. A palace is built. Prosperity. I think for the first time since Abraham, people would say, hey, this is, this is a great nation. This is being fulfilled in our reading, in our, with our eyes. This great nation in Solomon, it's here. Guess how long it lasts? About 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but not very long. The promise here is that, that if they keep acting according to righteousness and the ways of David, then they will be established forever. But the promised kingdom falls short under Solomon. This is point number two. Point number one was uh, the, the great nation fulfilled in Solomon. Point number two is the promised kingdom it falls very short under Solomon. And, and what was promised was this forever kingdom. I mean, Abraham gets promised this. All along the way, there's, there's promises again and again. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to be a great people. You're going to inherit the land, the land flowing with milk. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then Solomon comes around. And I think people must have been like, hey, this is it. And they look up again and they're like, wait, where did it go? It all kind of, even in Solomon's lifetimes, you see the cracks and it begin to crumble. He hands it over to his sons, Jeroboam, Rehoboam. And it's just, it's an utter disaster ever, you know, even in Solomon's own lifetime. The promised forever kingdom lasts very short. Here's this promise. So, so looking, if you're still in the book of Kings, Kings chapter 9, which we already read, verse 4, which we already read. Let me reread this. This is the words of God 
to Solomon, he's saying, as for you, it's an if-then statement. If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprighteousness as David, your father, did, which we're going to talk about that because like David becomes this gold standard here. Like if you do what David did, I will establish this kingdom forever. And, and some of us are like, hey, I kind of know little bits about David's story. It doesn't, it's not a story of integrity and uprighteousness. Well, maybe it is, but I'm going to speak about that. I'm going I'm to tell you why David has the gold standard in just a moment. But if you do that, as David, your father, did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, then it's kind of an implied, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, forever. As I promised David, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. How long is this promise for? Forever. Like that's, that's a long time, right? That's a really long time. I've, I've often uh, been disappointed with like forever language, uh, like, like products. Anybody like, a, like a, get into like warranties, lifetime guarantees, product, you know, the, the, your money back guarantee. No matter what happens, we promise to blah, blah, blah. Anybody ever bought a product and then you like go to get that lifetime warranty and they're like, eh, not so fast. You didn't fill out the postcard. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Anybody else? Nobody? Okay, a couple people with me. I bought waders not too long ago. I'm, I'm a fly fisherman. Any fishermen? I see you, Jamie. A couple fishermen, fisherwomen, anglers. That's the better term. Uh, I also use my waders for duck hunting. Any hunters in here? Hunters? No, okay, a couple hands. Sometimes you're like, I don't know, maybe. You know, hunting. Here's a side note for you. Can I give you a side note to encourage you? Uh, you might, some of you in here might be like, I don't like hunting. I don't even like the idea of hunting. And, and so like your pastor hunts and I don't know about that. Maybe there's some disagreement. Let me encourage you. Under the banner of Jesus, we could argue about hunting. Under the banner of Jesus, we could even argue amongst ourselves about who's the best political candidate, who's the worst political candidate. Under the banner of Jesus, we could have different skin in here. Amen. Under the banner of Jesus, we could have different socioeconomic statuses. Amen? My vision for New Life Manitou, the vision of the church that, that God himself gives us, is that under the banner of Jesus, that, that's what brings us together. We can argue about other things. We could, we could have different colors of skin. We could have different socioeconomic backgrounds. We could argue about candidates and different things. Under the banner of Jesus, we unite holding hands and we march out of here loving people and serving. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. All right. What in the world was I talking about? <laughs> waiters. That's what I was talking about. I was talking about waiters. And why in the world was I talking about waiters? I was talking about waiters because of warranties. Thank you, Linda. So, so I see this word forever. Getting back to the text, I see the word that we just saw that there will be a forever promise. No, there'll always forever be someone on the throne. This is the Lord promising. And so I, I bought some waiters not too long ago. Uh, it was a lifetime forever warranty. I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. Those of you that are, are, are anglers, you know that if you buy waiters, they don't last forever. The seals, they start to come undone. Then you got a boot full of water. And if you got a boot full of water, that's, that's like the whole purpose of what the waiters are not doing. Like, it's like, that's what the waiters are for. Keep you dry. They're not keeping you dry. So I bought the, I spent more on these waiters to get the lifetime forever warranty. They started leaking about a year later, called them up and they were like, yeah. It's past our warranty date. I was like, 
Well, what's forever lifetime mean? And they said, well, it's the lifetime of the product. And I was really nice to them over the phone. I was just like, wow, whatever. But in my head, I was thinking, I kept thinking to myself, the waiters aren't alive. I'm alive. It's my lifetime, not the waiters. And I just thanked them. I hung up. But I was just so disappointed. Like, what happened to forever? What happened to the lifetime? And some of you are just giggling. because you're like, that's what you expect. Like, why would, you know, here's the thing. A guarantee a lifetime warranty, a policy, a money-back assurance, a covenant, maybe you've heard this before, is only as good as the person giving it, right? I mean, think, think about that. Like this, this company, I kind of think they were tricking, you know, using those big words like just to get you to buy their product and really not covering it like, like intended with, the, you know, the big words, do you know who's giving this promise here to Solomon that forever there will be someone ruling and reigning on this earth, on the throne of Israel, through the promise that was given through David, through Abraham, even through Moses and the whole Bible? Do you know who's promising the forever guarantee of kingdom over this earth? Do you know who's promising it? God. God is the one making that promise. And his promise is good. His forever guarantee is certainly good. And here's what the promise is. It's an if-then statement. So I told you I'd go back to this idea of, of David. So the if-then is that if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprighteousness as your father David did, then I will, I will keep your throne forever. There will be someone always on the throne uh, of, of this kingdom that is on earth. And you gotta wonder, like, why is David the gold standard? Does anybody have that same question along with me? Like, what, David? Like that guy? Like integrity of heart and uprighteousness. Does anybody know the failings of David? Like, what did he, he pretty, he, he's kind of a, Rascal, like he to say it the least. Uh, he, you know, some of his big sins. What's he do with Bathsheba? Don't say, don't yell, don't yell out things. Uh, he commits adultery. <laughs> he, uh, what does he do to cover up adultery? Murder. Murder. Jeez. Uh, he and uh, he's just not a very good dad. Like talk about like you could probably use the the term dysfunctional father figure. Uh, he has a son. This is a horrible story. You might not be as familiar with this story, but he has a son that takes advantage of a daughter. I'm trying to say that as nicely as I can, but it's as horrible as you can imagine. A son takes advantage of a daughter. David, the dad, decides to not do anything about it. Another son, Absalom, was like, well, I'm gonna do something about it. There's this conflict that just builds Absalom, one of David's own sons, says, I'm going to get some my friends together. I'm going to kill my dad. And David says, well, I'm going to get some of my people together, and I'm going to kill my son. Like, this is, this is David. This is the same guy that's like integrity of heart, uprighteousness. I'm going to explain it in just a moment. But a couple more things. Uh, one occasion, David follows Satan's temptation. It's, the text in 1 Chronicles 21 says he sins greatly, by uh, carrying out a census of Israel. Another sin that David does is he practices the sin of polygamy, which in Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says that kings are not to have many wives. 
and David does. These sins that have been mentioned here, like why is David the gold standard? Well, I have an answer for you, and I hope that by saying this, some of you are gonna listen in. Some of you are gonna be like, well, that, maybe that's what the Lord is speaking to me today. Maybe some of you would say, I've sinned. Maybe, maybe some of those sins that I've mentioned, this pride to take a census, uh, family uh, dis- displacement, dysfunction, adultery, uh, taking a life, um, uh, just, just these sins that David, maybe some of you in here have had just sins in your life that you're like, um, I'm, I'm not righteous. I, I'm not, you know, what do I do with that? Well, David still has this gold standard before the Lord of, of telling Solomon gets told, live like David did in uprighteousness and integrity of heart. And I see in David's life, despite these sins, the reason why he has the gold standard, I see one thing, and that is that he is so quick to apologize. Did you ever notice that? Like how quick David is when sin is brought to him, how quickly he is willing to say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I have fallen short. And you know what's crazy is the Lord calls David this one who is full of integrity and uprighteousness. I mean, I was, we just went through all those sins and it's like, like man, that, those are some heavy sins. And yet David is still called uprighteous and full of integrity of heart. And I see that as, well, he was always so quick to ask for forgiveness. I think of Psalm 51. Are you familiar with this psalm? It's the psalm, uh, it's probably one of the most favorite, uh, just well-known psalms after Psalm 23. It's probably the most well-known psalm. Psalm 51, if you don't know it, you need to go and read the psalm and, and know the context. That it's David after he has committed adultery and, and murdered, had someone murdered to cover that sin. Psalm 51 is a psalm of his repentance. Sin is brought to him and he says, have mercy on me, O God according to thy, thy righteousness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He says, for my sin is ever before thee. Thee and thee only have I sinned against. I have failed to do right in your eyes. Read that psalm. And it's, it's a psalm of, of true repentance. And, and although David sins greatly, He has this gold standard of of righteousness and integrity of heart because he's so quick to ask for forgiveness. And he's so, before the Lord, he pours his heart out and he is so sorry for those sins. We don't see that in Solomon. He sins, we're gonna look next week. uh, And and Pastor Jordan, when she preached, she she talked about how the the wives of Solomon led him astray. We'll look at that. We'll look at some of the other stories in the next weeks to follow of how king after king in this book of Kings falls apart and there's, it seems like there's no repentance at all, not like David. There's, there's no asking for the Lord's mercy. There's sin upon sin and no asking for mercy. Do you know what happens in the book of Kings? If you were to uh, jump ahead and look, kind of flip to the last page. Anybody ever do that? Like you're supposed to be reading a book like in high school, supposed to be reading uh, Lord of the Flies by 
William Golding, and, and you, you didn't finish the assignment. Uh, you had you know, a long time to read it, but you kind of waited for the last week, and then you're not really sure how it ends, and you went to high school before the internet, so you couldn't just type in, like, how does Lord of the Flies end? And you go to other people and ask them, hey, have you ever read Lord of the Flies? And you're like, oh, yeah. And you ask them, how's it end? And they don't tell you because you're like, weren't you supposed to read that for class? You should finish that. I'm just using this as an example. It's, it sounds, sounds bizarrely specific, like it might have happened to me, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I might have gone to the last couple pages of The Lord of the Flies and read it out of order so that I would know the ending of The Lord of the Flies. And they all get saved, by the way, if you don't know that story. It's like a bunch of rambunctious little kids that go crazy on an island. They're killing each other. It's a pretty dark story. And then at the end, it's kind of like a wake-up call of like, oh, this is like humanity, and they get rescued. I just spoiler alerted the, the whole book of Lord of the Flies for you. But have you ever gone to the end of a book just to see how it ended? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, I see those hands. It's quick to, quick to ask for forgiveness. Good job. Well done. Well done. Admitting your sin. Uh, as if that's, that, you're fine doing that. If you were to flip to the end of Kings, and did you know a little fun fact about First and Second Kings is that they were all one book when originally written. They were split into two different books. They were split into different chapters and verses. I find that all very helpful so that we could uh, more easily read the story and know where to flip to and things like that. So if you flip to the end of the whole story of Kings, Second Kings 25, do you know how the story ends? The temple is decimated, destroyed. The palace that Solomon spent 13 years building completely burned to the ground the walls surrounding Jerusalem, it, 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 devastated. The Babylonians, this army comes in, decimates the whole uh, city of Jerusalem, and they take out all the people who are living, all the, the, the tenants of the city. They take them via exile as slaves to Babylon. That's how the story ends. It's a horrible ending. That's where we're going. This whole book of Kings that right now we're like, the, the, the kingdom is awesome. Everything's great. There's the temple. There's the palace. It's all going to be horribly burnt to the ground. And, and we can say, we're looking at this promise of God, we could say, oh, well, it was an if-then statement. If you do these things, are in, full of integrity. If you are uprighteous, then the Lord will forever have someone on the throne. And they don't do that. So then the throne itself is demolished and burnt to the ground. And you say, well, that, that's just what happened. God made a promise, but the promise was an if-then. And then it's, it, people don't do that. So they get taken over by the Babylonians. But here's point number three. God keeps his good promise. God keeps his side of the promise even though we don't. When God promises something, his grace, mercy, and, and it seems like an if-then, you know, he will keep his promise, he will keep his side, even though we don't. Jesus is the king that never fails to be on the throne. You know, Jesus speaks about Solomon in, in Matthew 12, uh, 42. I won't read the whole thing, but it says that uh, Jesus... Uh, speaks of Solomon. He had all this wisdom. The, the queen of the south comes and, and gets knowledge from him. And then the, look at this very last line. And now Jesus is speaking. He speaks about how awesome Solomon was. And now something greater than Solomon is here. What was the greatness of Solomon? It was the kingdom promised back 
in Abraham's day, promised way back then that there would be a great nation. That was fulfilled in Solomon. And Jesus says, something greater than Solomon is here. And he's speaking about himself. Jesus, fully God, fully human. Do you know his line? If you look at Matthew chapter one, the human line of Jesus goes from Abraham through the line of David, through on to Jesus. Think about that. Think about that promise and how Jesus is on the throne forever. The kingdom that we so long for as humans, the kingdom that we so long for won't be fulfilled on this earth. There's a longing for something much greater. There's a longing. I think as Americans, we would say there's, there's a longing to, to get you know, the, the, the right person elected. There's a longing to get uh, laws in place that reflect Christian values. There's, there's a longing for that. And we should celebrate when, when things you know, go the way that we thought oh, that this is a good law in place. It has Christian values. Of course, we celebrate and we welcome and we, we praise the Lord. But this world, the kingdoms of this world, they're going to fail. They're going to fail us. They're going to fail themselves. There's going to be displacement. There's going to be, um, ultimately, the, the kingdoms of this world can't fulfill what Jesus did and will do. Do you remember the title of this sermon? It's that, that God has come and he will come again. The king has come. He will come again. I want to close this sermon by reading the, the real ending of the book. You know, so if you read the ending of Kings, it's, well, it's all burnt to the ground. Jerusalem's people are getting hauled off as exiles. There's that Psalm, I forget what number it is, by the uh, rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. There we hung our harps. Our captors asked us for songs. They said, sing us one of those songs from Zion. And the people said, how can we sing the songs of Zion while in a foreign land? And it, it's, it's like, it's the undoing of the great nation. And, and it's now they're in exile. That's how Kings ends. But is that the ending of the whole story? No. Let me read for you. I would like you to stand. We're gonna close this sermon by reading Revelation 22. And the band at this point can come up if you're serving communion, you can come up to and, and find your place up here because we're about to come to the table. We're about to come to this heavenly feast that, that we come open-handed and we receive the body, the blood of Jesus. We come to the kingdom of heaven, the true kingdom that Christ has established, the true kingdom that says on this throne, there will never fail to be someone in charge and that one is God himself. That's Jesus, fully God. Let me read you the ending of the story. Imagine yourself not knowing how it all ends and you flip to the back of the book wondering like, how does this thing all end? And you find these most encouraging words. Revelation 22.1. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree 
are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Listen to this. The throne of God and the Lamb will be the city and in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Remember back in the in the in the temple, Solomon said. He asked for the Lord to be there and the Lord said, my name will be in the temple. Now the name is on those who call themselves believers. The name is on their forehead. Verse five, there will be no, no more night for they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So in this moment, we're gonna come, we're gonna receive communion. It's like we're coming to this great banquet. We're coming to this heavenly table where God himself gives of his own body, his own cup for us. We're going to come forward. We um, work your way to the middle. You'll come down looking at the cross. The, ser- the, the servers will say Christ's body and blood for you. Would you receive, and everyone's welcome to receive, if Jesus is Lord of your life, would you receive Go back to where you're standing and just hold the elements. Pastor Jordan will come back up and we'll all receive together. Let me pray a blessing over us. Oh, we receive your cup. We receive your bread. You said you're the bread of life. Oh, you said that if, if we drink of you, we'll never be thirsty again. And Lord, we, we receive this. We receive that this, these elements in your kingdom this kingdom that will never end. You will never fail to to reign and to rule. So Lord, we look to you. We look to your table and we come in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
If you all don't have your communion elements open yet, go ahead and open them. What's so special about this moment of communion is that we get to remember and receive the love and the power of the one true King. Dr. Joe said it, where all the kingdoms of this world, all the things that we are tempted to stake our hope on are nothing compared to Jesus and what he's done for us. So as you take the bread, Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed that the bread was his body that was broken for us, for our sins, for everything that we need. Jesus gave the very best of himself. So as we receive the bread, remember what Jesus did in giving his broken body for us. And as you hold the cup, it is the cup of the new covenant. And Joe said it, where the covenant or the guarantee is only as good as the one who gives it. We can be comforted and encouraged by the fact that when Jesus gave his blood for us, poured it out for us for the remission of our sins, that we can receive a new covenant and receive the promise that everything we're looking for in the future will be made good because of Jesus. You can receive the cup.
now pray over us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your broken body and the blood for us. Jesus, thank you that you are the king we have been waiting for and you are the king who will return. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with peace and fill us with joy, knowing that everything we are hoping for and longing for will be fulfilled in you. Give us a new perspective of what is coming and help us live toward your kingdom in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you would like prayers, we conclude this service. If you would like prayer, would you come down? The communion service will be here. I'll be here as well to pray over you. If you're new or newish, maybe you've been to the other New Life congregations, haven't yet been to this one, or if you've been coming for a little while and would like to get, we have a bi-weekly newsletter that we email out. There's a QR code, or as you leave, uh, you can fill out on paper a guest card. We have a gift for you just for coming today. So make sure you do that. Couple announcements. Uh, we're gonna launch, I'm really excited about this. Uh, we'll get you more information about uh, this next month when we launch on October 23rd, but we have, uh, we're gonna have a small group called Sound Minds, which will be a discussion group for those interested in uh, mental health or struggling with mental health or taking care of people struggling with mental health. Uh, it's kind of a breakthrough small group that we're really excited to lead. That'll be next month. Uh, the men's group is gonna be meeting this week. We have uh, an amazing men's group. We just went on a camping trip a couple weeks ago, and we have uh, a group this Thursday. We're gonna meet at Glen Erie, thanks to Derek Strickler who works there. So Glen Erie is the awesome little castle just about five minutes from here. Go to the check-in booth and tell them you're with the Manitou Men's Ministry at 6.30. They'll tell you where to go. We have food, and John Shellhammer is leading a book study on how to study the book of the Bible. So he's going to be showing us like uh, the apps he uses and the uh, concordances that are online and things like that on how to study the Bible. So it's not just a Bible study. It's a how to study the Bible study. Pretty cool, right? So that's for men this Thursday, 630 at Glen Erie. One more announcement, uh, a couple more announcements, actually. Uh, we have baptisms coming up. If you're interested in getting baptized, Come see me, or as you leave, we have a sign-up sheet for baptism. Let someone know you're interested in getting baptized and, and partnering with the work the Lord is already doing in your life and seeking the waters of baptism. Uh, and finally, today is a great day for us. You know, we need lots of volunteers right after the service to stick around. We're going to be putting together the boxes uh, they're, they're called Operation Christmas Child, uh, these boxes that we're going to be assembling together. We have all this stuff. It needs to go nice and neat into these boxes. And then we send these boxes through an organization. There's millions of these go out. Well, we're, we're going to do about 20 to 30 of them for boys uh, six to nine years old. They're going to probably end up somewhere in South America. And so we need help making these boxes. So, hey, I'm ending a little early. This sermon was a little short today. If Sometimes it seems like if I really got something to say, it's going to be shorter of a sermon. I don't know why that is, but I'm ending a little early. So if you have time in your day, would you go downstairs, spend about maybe half hour? We're going to be packaging these boxes to send. So let me pray a blessing over you. Would you hold your hands out if you're okay with that, just to receive this blessing from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.